Welcome to the Abortion Recovery Network podcast. We are group leaders helping group leaders with abortion recovery ministry through informal and casual conversations. Your hosts are Linda Keener Thomas, founder and board chair of the National Memorial for the Unborn, and Mindy Lefeshore, founder of An Even Place Virtual Abortion Recovery Ministry. As I began An Even Place in January 2022, I wanted to talk with other abortion recovery ministry leaders to share the vision I had and learn whatever I could about abortion recovery ministry. As I talked with some amazing women who I now call friends, I was surprised to learn they were as eager as I was to hear from other leaders. An idea was birthed to start a podcast of leaders, by leaders, for leaders, from all over to share experiences, ideas, challenges, joys, and learn from one another while doing your laundry, cooking your dinner, or driving in your car. Linda and I met the fall of 2022. I shared this idea with her and she jumped on board. Our desire is to allow you to enter our conversations with other abortion recovery leaders, learn the nuts and bolts of how they lead their groups, and connect with one another to build a strong network of leaders helping leaders reach the millions suffering with an abortion experience. Well, hello, everybody. I'm so glad you're here today. Before we get started, I want to make a quick announcement. The Abortion Recovery Network podcast will have a name change as of January 2024. It will be called Forward with Purpose. So Forward with Purpose is a Christian coaching ministry of an even place where I am passionate about keeping the pro-life team, where the the offense is PRC workers and the defense is abortion recovery workers on the field and in the game. I am offering Christian coaching services to aid in support and care for all pro-life women workers so they can continue to serve with joy and excitement. And if you want to know more, you can go out to forwardwithpurposecoaching.com. I'd love to hear from you. So Linda, what is new with the National Memorial for the Unborn? Thanks, Mindy. And it's been great to partner with an even place as as the two of us um, have been privileged to do this podcast and just build up. Uh, the frontline workers on this battlefield, and it's been a great joy. And um, yeah, I'm on the board right now, serving as chair of the National Memorial for the Unborn. I was one of the original founders. It's actually been around for 30 years, which is just incredible to think about. But we are in a total new season in the last um, year or so, and we are just excited at the new things God is doing. Um we are in the process, our most exciting thing that has been a, a dream for me for, for quite a few years it, of doing a virtual wall. So we are going to be taking the over 3,000 names that are already on the physical wall in Chattanooga on the granite wall um, and putting them up in a virtual format. So it's going to be like walking down that wall and reading those names, those dates, um, all the, the people that have throughout the country that have honored their children that's going to go virtual and as people continue to order new plaques they will have an actual physical plaque on the wall and on the virtual wall so we will be able to reach so many more with this different face of abortion you know that that shows the pain and the healing Mm -hmm. um, that surrounds abortion that that so many people don't ever recognize so um, not only for the abortion recovery field, but for our country as a whole to see the healing 
and have that experience. So we're so excited about that. Uh, we are building new partnerships all the time with abortion recovery ministries, and we want to be a team player with them as, as women get through that healing process to have this as a final step where they can make a permanent public declaration of the value and the dignity of their children. So we also have affiliates speaking up across the country um, where people can take their duplicate plaques that they receive and have a local site. So that's kind of a nutshell of, of what's happening with the memorial. And we are just really happy to partner with Forward with Purpose podcast. And I'll have to get used to that new day. Uh, but it's going to be great as we go forward and build up and network. That's what uh we're all about. That's wonderful. So tell us the um, website. Uh, memorialfortheunborn.org. Perfect. And if anybody is interested in learning more about the National Memorial for the Unborn, you can listen to our podcast. Um, we're having uh, Regina Block, the director of the Memorial for the Unborn, on to interview October 20th. So it should be up that afternoon. I usually try to get these published the day of. And um, so if you want to learn more, hear Regina's heart, hear Linda and Regina talk back and forth, because they're going to be driving that conversation. Um, just get on and find out more about it. That's a, it's a beautiful ministry. Okay. So today we have a very um, special guest. Her name is Tony Brubaker. She is my friend. She has co-led a group with me last year and, um, I'm just going to turn the floor over to you, Tony. I'm going to let you talk a little bit about you, how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I am a, I've been married for 34 years. I am a mama of six children, two living children and four in heaven. Three of those children lost to abortion and one to miscarriage. And so um that's, we all have a story behind our story, right? And um, I um, have a rather unique way that I got involved with abortion recovery. Um, I went in as an executive director at a pregnancy center, which I had never been affiliated with in any way, except for taking a group of teens to a walk for life. Um, and it's just, God just, <laughs> the way he speaks to us uh, so uniquely because he knows each of us so uniquely that I just kind of have to giggle sometimes because I had abortion in my past before taking that position and I was interviewed by six board members and nobody asked the question, have you ever had an abortion? In my heart of hearts, I knew that I had been healed um, or I had been, excuse me, big, big difference. I had been mm -hmm. forgiven, but Thank I didn't that know yes. that I needed healing. I didn't know at yes. that point. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when they asked me why they thought that I would be a good fit, I simply said, because I was one of these girls, well, that could have meant a whole, a whole list of things. And nobody said anything else beyond that. And I think that that was because God knew that I needed some healing and he was going to take me the backwards way in. <laughs> and so as I um, began, as I got the position and as I began as the executive director, 
um, I saw that we offered abortion recovery. And so I started investigating what that looked like. First of all, I'd never even heard of that. And then I was like, okay, yeah. so what does this look like? What curriculum do we use? How does, you know, how do we meet people that um, want to go through this? And I found what I heard um, from a ministry that had this was, well, we just haven't had anybody that has needed it. But if we did, we would send them to this counselor in, in our, you know, town. And I was like, hmm, well, that kind of feels like that's an integrity problem if we have something, but nobody's using the service. So maybe we shouldn't have this service. So I began researching. And through my researching was when I found my own healing. Um, because I went to a conference that um, was like a three-day conference on how to facilitate abortion recovery. Here, I've never even been through abortion recovery, but I'm at this conference. And while I'm there, I'm thinking, hmm, I've never done this. I've never done that. Wow, I've experienced this and started connecting some of the dots. And as I was connecting the dots, um, that the very first day I went home and, or I'm sorry, I went back to my hotel room and I just, that was my period. I call that my first period of grieving and lamenting mm -hmm. because I just laid on the hotel floor and I just cried and cried out to the Lord. And the next day I got the courage up. I went back and they said, you know, we feel like there's some women in this room that need some additional healing. So therefore <laughs> we're going to, this is not God. So I love God. <laughs> I love how he does this stuff. Right. I, I mean, within 24 hours, he's answering my prayer. Right. Yeah. So I said, uh, or they said, so we're going to offer a weekend retreat. And so I went on that weekend retreat um, and it changed everything for me. It, it really, really did. Um, there had always been just something between God and I, and I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, but this was the beginning of just that freedom and knowing that I was loved. I mean, I knew it in my head, but, and we hear that all the time, right? Mm -hmm. In abortion recovery um, work. But um, that was, that was the beginning um, for me. And I went on then to begin abortion recovery because I was so passionate about the men and the women. At that point, I have to be honest, it was really about the women at that point in my journey, but the women that were sitting in the church pews, because that would, that had been me for years, I'd been sitting in the church pew. And so, um, began facilitating abortion recovery and it just took off for a town that Nobody, uh, nobody needed. We were doing group after group after group. I think the first year that we did it, we did like six, we did like six groups. And so, um, it was, and that was totally God. And so it became the, the true passion in the position of executive director. That was the one thing that I was just like, oh man, my heart is here. And so nearby, about 45 minutes from where the pregnancy center that I was at, um, there was a, another pregnancy center that had opened a standalone abortion recovery place. And it was um, called The Haven. And it's located and with a shared driveway to the last standing abortion facility in Toledo, Ohio. And um, 
it just was such a new and fresh idea that you were going to be kind of right there on the front line. And it was just all abortion recovery. And I was, I took our whole team and we closed the center and we went and we prayed, we prayed over that area. Um, and when I left, I was friends with the executive director being an executive director myself. And I said to her, boy, if your director here ever leaves, this would be my dream job. And I was kind of kidding, but not, I guess. And so fast forward to probably, I don't know, two, three years, I'm doing abortion recovery and being executive director in my other location. They're doing abortion recovery at the standalone location. And I get a phone call and it was from that executive director friend of mine. And she said, Hey, remember when you, <laughs> and I said, Oh yeah, kind of why what's up. And she's like, well, I'm offering you the position. So the um, director that was there was leaving to go work for a national abortion recovery um, organization. And I knew that God had already been starting to prepare because we had recently brought in a center manager because I knew that someday I was going to be stepping out and we wanted it to be prepared. We wanted the ministry to be prepared. And so she had already been, you know, doing so many of the things and it was a great time for me to transition out of that um, pregnancy center and into the Haven for the, for um, abortion recovery. So that's a little bit about my story and how I got to the Haven. Now, okay. I was there for three years, and um, I guess the next part of that story then would be that through, um, and I don't know how far back you want me to go into story, but I had had two abortions prior to ever meeting my husband that I'm married to now for the 34 years. We had an abortion early on in our marriage. And we never talked about it. And um, he did not know of the others. And um, when I went for my own abortion healing, back when I was as an executive director, there was a little piece of it. When I came home, I shared with him that I had had previous abortions. He was very sweet and said, that doesn't surprise me knowing your history, but we still didn't talk about our baby. And um, I then went on to lead abortion recovery and he was my biggest supporter. He prayed for me before every weekend retreat or group that I was co-facilitating. He, you know, talked about me as though, you know, he was just so proud of me and what I was doing, but yet we never talked about us. And so um, fast forward to I'm in working at the Haven as the director there. And um, I firmly believe that um, we just continue to heal and to grow and that we're not going to be done healing until we stand before Jesus, right? Amen. So... <laughs> Um, there was, we had, I had a team of volunteers at the Haven 
And some of them were going to go work with another organization called Deeper Still. They were going to do both. So I decided I needed to go to Deeper Still. I needed to see what this was about. And I went on a Deeper Still retreat saying, Lord, what do you want? Where, what, what do you have for me now? You know, you start to get to that point where, you know, we just get excited about what he's going to do and not so fearful of what he's going to do. And so I'm at this um, weekend, which is the only time I've ever seen men in any form of abortion recovery. And there are men there, although they're separated. And the Lord just really, really spoke to me. And um, what he revealed through the Holy Spirit was that I had not allowed my husband to lead in our home, that I had an issue with authority in men. Knowing my past that I'm not even talking about, and then with the abortion, um, the abortions that it seems so logical now when I say it out loud, but it wasn't then. And I, cause I remember my husband saying, you have such an issue with authority. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> 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 what are you talking about? <laughs> and so um, when I came home and I also got to witness men going through that process and how tender their hearts were. And there was a married couple that was there. She was on team. He was going through as a participant and it was just absolutely beautiful. And I said, I want that. And so when I got home, um, I sat down with my husband and I said, I need to ask you for your forgiveness. And he said, why? And I said, because I haven't let you lead in our home. You are not the man that I married. You are now a man of God. And I have not allowed you to do that. And I said, do you, will you forgive me? And he said, of course I forgive you. And I said, there's something else. Would you be willing to go on a retreat? And he said, why do you think I need to go? And I said, because <laughs> we never talk about our child. And I saw a tear roll down his face. And he said, okay, I'll go. And going to that, I was able then to serve on a team while he was the participant. And that was, I mean, I would have told you prior to that, we have a great marriage and we did, but there again, healing, there's always more, God always wants more. And so in that, um, he went on that retreat and we were able to grieve our child together to honor our child together. Um, and I found out that there are just so many things with men. It's so different than us as far as what they experience. And I'm ashamed to say that for years I had left the men out of it. Um, and we've got to get the men in it. We have, we have to, we cannot leave them out any longer. Um, and so that leads to me transitioning out of the Haven. I hope this is all making sense. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> because my husband was from a small town where the same family, all on the same road, family farmers, he would have never, ever left that place. But 
our son came to us and said, Hey, I don't think I'm ever going to be moving. Are going to ever be moving back this way? Would you be willing to move to Columbus? And my husband jumped on it because what he discovered, the biggest thing that he discovered in his healing was he no longer had to work and try to please his earthly father. Hmm. He only wanted to honor his heavenly father. And I found, I saw this newfound confidence in him that he was just like the decision. He wasn't afraid to make changes or decisions. And so he said, I think we need to move to Columbus to be closer to our son. And, um, and so here I'm like, oh, but I love what I do. <laughs> it's my dream job. Remember? But, <laughs> I also knew I needed to follow him, right? And give him, because that's exactly what I had learned was I had not been allowing him to lead. So I knew I had to do that. And so off to Columbus, um, we started that journey then. And I then transitioned out of the Haven. So (laughs) Tony, okay. So I introduced you and said, this is my friend and you are but we've never sat down and had a conversation because it's always been related to what we're doing. And, um, so that was really beautiful to hear your story for the first time. Thank you so much for sharing that and go ahead, Linda. What I appreciate, appreciate so much about your story, Tony, is your vulnerability and, and the lesson for us, the listeners, those of you that are listening to know that we're still all in process. <laughs> you know, I love that. You know, here we are, directors of centers and leaders of abortion recovery groups, but God wants to do a deeper work and we mm-hmm. need to be open to that. I just love that part of your testimony. It's so mm-hmm. good. Appreciate thank that. You. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, Linda. And so t- what we're going to talk about, I hope today, we'll see. Um, we want to talk about transition. So Tony came in as the director of the Haven, she had to trans- transition in and then she transitioned out. So we do want to talk about that for group leaders who, or ministry leaders who might be um, facing that and just kind of the things that she learned on both perspectives. And then um, if we can, we want to get to um, just more about how this healing changed their marriage and, and and what this meant for them and him and get deeper into that conversation. So I'm hoping we can get to both of that. Um, so first, let's just talk about the recent trend. So when you transitioned into the Haven, um, there was a founding director that you were taking the place of, correct? Yes. Yeah. And so, um, and I don't, I hate to give her name because I don't know if she would like us to, but um, what was that like for you? Um, what, what difficulties, what challenges did you face? What was easy? You know, what was helpful for you um, as a new, even though you'd been a director before, but now you're going into a different kind of a ministry. So what was, what were some of those things that you faced? Well, I think the first thing was, you know, there's a level of intimidation, right? She'd mm-hmm. been doing the work longer. She had created this along with the, the pregnancy center. Cause it was, um, she'd been doing that work within the pregnancy center prior Um, and had some other different roles too, but I had known her for quite some time and I was comfortable with her, but there's something about stepping into what somebody else is already doing and doing well. Right. So it's a little bit of that intimidation and the Lord just quickly impressed on my heart and everybody else was so encouraging as well that it's okay if I look different at how I do it. Cause we have a whole nother set of skills. Um, and 
you know, we always look at somebody else and say, gee, I wish I could do it like she does. Um, and we bring something unique to it too. So we had, I had to let go of that very early on and she was so gracious, but also she was kind of doing both jobs and was extremely ready to hand off to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was good in the sense that, um, she just let me go with it. And I didn't have, I didn't have the time to second guess myself. I just had to jump in and do. Right. And she wasn't sticking around clinging to it. She was trying to hold on. Yeah. So that was helpful. Yes. And she had to do, you know, she was, she went from being part-time to being full-time. And so that Mm -hmm. was a whole nother transition for her as well. Um, so I can speak to that just a little bit too, as to having been in a, a director of a pregnancy center for 10 years yeah. and stepping out. Yeah. Um, and I probably went a little bit to the opposite extreme. I just disappeared because mm-hmm. I felt like I wanted the new person to just be able to take it and make it their own. So I didn't want people looking to me for advice. So I just totally disappeared. But I had feedback later in later years that they wished that I had at least maintained relationships because you get so close with your team you know um we had 17 employees at that point and and they were dear friends and it was hard on me to totally cut off relationships but I felt like I needed to um and but it was hard on them too so there's a balance there that is really I think kind of tricky isn't it it's very did you just out of curiosity Linda because Tony left how far away is Columbus from where you were in Toledo. No. So are you talking about when I transitioned out of the pregnancy center into when, the Haven or from the Haven to Columbus? That's right. Cause the Haven was 45 minutes to where you were. Well, you still moved away. You still moved to Columbus. So how far is Columbus from where you basically that area of where you were? Uh, about two and a half hours. Okay. And so Linda, you moved too. Um, no, not at that point. No, you didn't not move physically. Right I was okay. still in Chattanooga. But I was newly married with a new, with a, a baby at 40 years old. So I had a lot of uh, changes in my life at that yeah. point. Um, so I wasn't physically removed, but I did remove myself okay. probably a little bit too severely from the relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, and so when you came in, it, so you said it was helpful that um, she was able to, you know, already have another focus. And so she wasn't clinging and holding on to this and, you know, trying to micromanage you and tell you what to do, but what was helpful from the other workers? What was helpful from the board members for you as a new transitioning director? The executive director was a huge part of why that transition went so well, because she had been that person um, that I was replacing had been in the pregnancy center longer than the current executive director. So they had a bond there because they had, you know, come in and, and formed that. And so she was so good to me and saying, I have confidence in you. I asked you to do this. You, you were the person that I knew that God wanted in this role. I have confidence in you. It doesn't have to look like the way that it did. And she gave me that freedom and just kept encouraging me in a way that was really, really helpful. And mind you, that helped me then to know how I could encourage the new director of where the new executive director for where I was leaving. So it just all around was just beautiful the way that, and I've seen bad, I've seen that happen poorly Mm -hmm. and 
ours was honestly, it couldn't have gone any smoother in, into that. My, when I think one of my biggest fears was the team, because Mm -hmm. there's a big group of, um, a team of volunteers and we all know, right. That whoever leads us through our own abortion recovery experiences, there's a special bond there. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that they had bonded with this former, um, director And my fear was that they were going to think in some way um, that I was there and I was taking over and, you know, that, 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 that part, and I was going to lose my team. That's Mm -hmm. what, that was my biggest fear that the enemy had given me. But what I found was in saying to them, look, I understand, I understand that you will always have a connection to her because I will always have a connection to the people that were involved in my healing. And so I honor that and I honor her in that. And I don't want you to ever think that you have to feel about me the way that you did about her, that you're being disloyal. um, If you want to still be meeting with her and stay connected with her. And because I told them, I have this back where I came from too. I still have a group of people that very much are connected to me. So I get it. And I think being honest about my fears with them and also honoring that person that is leaving is so, so important. That's good. That's good. So it was smooth all the way around. It sounds like the Lord was just totally in this. Mm. And she was still available to you for you to ask questions then? Did she make herself available? Well, I think our situation was different in that I had already been leading abortion recovery and the same curriculum for quite a while. And we had networked together. So I didn't have as many questions since I was already kind of doing that work. Now, going into my last transition where I'm transitioning out and the new person's coming in, she had never facilitated before. Mm -hmm. She had her own um, story, but she had not done abortion recovery facilitating. So she needed a little bit more than what I probably did going in. And I had also been an executive director. So I understood the whole, you know, there's the budgeting and all of those things that maybe somebody coming into it, wouldn't know. Um, So that transition looked a little different than what it did when I came in to the Haven. So how long was the transition when you came in versus when you left period? When I came in, it was probably about a week and here you go. (laughs) And when I left, um, because she had not done anything, I was with her working for two months um, that I was there with at the same time that she was. And so for two months, we kind of went through, she got to see um, a group being led and um, just kind of the day-to-day operations and how that worked. And then after that, I was available. um, The pregnancy center kept me on and I was available by phone or as she needed to consult with me at any time for another couple months. Well, that's really good. That's so good to hear. So what would be your biggest piece of advice to somebody who's transitioning out? They know they need to leave. Um, You know, the Lord's calling them, whatever it is. 
Um, what would be your, what would be the biggest piece you would tell them? As you're transitioning out, mm -hmm. I think it's the same thing in a ministry as it would be in a job um, outside of a ministry. And that's that whomever comes into that position is going to do it different. And that's okay. So to give to that person that is coming in permission to just be them and to encourage them to do it the way that they feel works for them. Because as I said, the person that left before me at the Haven had a completely different personality. I'm, I, I had always looked at her thinking, man, I wish I could just be that chill and that in the moment spontaneous because I'm a person that has to have structure and I have to feel prepared and our personalities are just different. And that's okay. That That's okay. Because what I was able then to leave were some were some structure, you know, from somebody who hadn't, you know, done it the same way. And um, the person that was coming in needed to have that structure because she wasn't, she hadn't been involved in this type of work. So I think we have to just trust that um, if the position has been prayed over and covered in prayer, that whomever's there is going to bring what that, what the ministry needs, but it's going to look different and that's okay on both sides. That's okay. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing to remember. They're not going to do it just the way that you did. Right. I'd like to speak to just, um, and it's not so much the position you were in, Tony, but the one that started the Haven. Um, I know my pregnancy center, I didn't start it from the very beginning, but almost, and, and grew it uh, a lot and was there 10 years, and it had become my baby. And I know I was talking to Linda Cochran just recently um, about forgiving and set free. And I think she made that comment too, that um, she gave birth to that baby, but now it's time for that child to have a life apart from her. And I, I really identified with that because uh, when you've actually been one of the founding ones, um, sometimes we become a little bit too attached. And, you know, we, we deal a lot with the grieving model <laughs> in, in our work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that tr is true as people step out of ministry is to be able to let go. And that it, that does involve grief when you and e even for you, Tony, I mean, you poured your life for, you know, a number of years into something and then to be able to let go. Um, I think that's uh, that's an appropriate image, I think, for what what we go through. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Linda. That was really good. Well, I'd like to switch us over to just talking a little bit more about your husband. We have um, some time left and. First, I want to know, because I know there's not, there's some women like your, in fact, let me pause and back up for just a second. I have been surprised at how many women I have come across just in the last two years who are married to the man they had an abortion with. And statistically, it says, statistics say that that those relationships just hardly ever last. And yet I'm more and more and more, I'm hearing these relationships are lasting, but there is issues in the marriage because of it generally, because of just like what you said, they don't want to talk about it or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, or there's resentment and hurt that's never really dealt with, but you got the distinct privilege and opportunity to serve on a team that your husband was at mm. healing. And so like, I can see, okay, 
to me, I, I think most women, most men would go to a, a thing either with their wife or separate, but rarely with one on the team. I'm so glad to hear there was another example of that prior for you um, when you actually went to the retreat. And I've been to Deeper Still. I just want to say, I love the Deeper Still retreats. When I went, um, <laughs> I was the last one of the year and they had to have, it was a co-ed one. So there was definitely going to be men there. I didn't want a co-ed retreat. I thought this was the worst idea in the whole world to have men at the retreat. And honestly, I didn't know that I had any healing left. We were going because I was at the pregnancy center at the time and we were exploring bringing one of those to our area. So I went, but I was so blessed by the presence of the men at the retreat because, well, there's a moment where we all had to go there. We were in chat um, in Knoxville and there's this big long at the retreat center. Is that where you were at? Hmm. Okay. Well, there's this big, long porch with all these rocking chairs. And we had to go sit on these rocking chairs and um, basically have a moment of silence with our children. And, um, and I don't want to ruin all the things, but um, as I was, I went and got, I went and got my chair. I was quick. Cause I knew I was ready. And I sat down and there was only four men at the retreat and two of them, there was 20 of us women or 20, 25 people in total two men ended up sitting down right next to me on either side. And I just sat there and listened to them weep. And that was healing. That was so healed. That was where the healing that I needed was that piece right there because it was so precious just to hear them. I mean, and they weren't bawling and, you know, boohooing, but they were just weeping and you could tell they were just sorrowful and, you know, remorseful over their children. And, you know, I, (laughs) I tell people all the time, you know, you're never going to love, I'm never going to love your children the way you do. And that's the same for the fathers. I can never love Tony, your husband's children, the way he does for a reason, you know, God, there's a beautiful bond that God creates between parents and children, whether we're carrying them on the womb or not speaking of the men. Right. And so just to see and experience that healing is precious. So I just want to ask you, what was it like serving on the team that your husband attended? Wow. (laughs) That's a loaded question. It was beautiful. Um, That, so that moment that you're talking about when um, they're given, and again, we don't want to spoil anything. Yes. (laughs) They're given to honor Mm -hmm. um, their children, the men and the women. um, And they, kind of let them go into separate spaces to do that where I was at. Um, and so as the team, we kind of walk away and allow them and give them those moments. So I walked away um, from that and the men were on the inside. The team was on the outside of the location that we were at. And I heard, so I heard my husband say, where is Tony? And the next thing I knew, I turned around and he was walking towards me and he was just weeping oh. and he came up to me. I still get tearful when I think that's a say, I'm going to cry right now. So <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> the first thing he said was, I am so sorry. Do you forgive me? Wow. Wow. I didn't even know I needed to hear those words, but mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't, I didn't have this feeling of, man, I wish he was just sorry. I never, I never did. But yet when I heard them, 
there was just this immediate response and this connection between the two of us. And we just held each other and wept. You can't, <laughs> I mean, so that's a loaded question. What did that feel like? It was yeah. everything. It was just so important to us. And, and then being able to have the conversations afterwards because everything was fresh. Um, the conversations afterwards about how it attacks, you know, we know that men are created to protect and to provide. Yes. And that fatherhood, that piece of that, he was struggling with that. And how did I not know after doing abortion recovery for 13 years, how did I not know that that would attack him to his very core? Because we were never focused on men. <laughs> no. And I, uh, but it, but it did. And mm -hmm. I've gotten to see that now in our marriage because he finally feels like he's able to step up and take that role. He's given permission. He was fighting it before because he felt like he didn't deserve to. Wow. And so I was angry. He wasn't doing it and then taking the control away from him and he would kind of put it out there and test it and try. And then he's like, just let her do it because I, I did this and I don't deserve to, I didn't know. He felt that there were pieces that he said to himself. And I don't want to speak for him. Um, I know he's shared his story, but I still feel like that's something that should come from him. But there were pieces that he was so embarrassed thoughts that he had that he was living with that were playing over that the enemy was using in his mind, just like it does with us as women. And so hearing all of that just makes me so tender now for the man. And um, we're, you know, we're so far behind, you know, I've heard many people say we're like 10 years behind in the men's recovery. Right. Yeah. But hallelujah, we're getting there. And there are men as soon as he got back, he went back to work and was telling everybody, he had three men weeping the first day he went back to work and said, yeah, me too. Wow. Good. Yes. That's so exciting. Yeah. And we hear that. We know that yeah. with other women, but we don't see it with other men. And so we have to, you know, start equipping our men and we want them to take back that role and that confidence to lead us in our homes. Mm -hmm. And they can until they're healed too. Right. Right. So how has his healing changed your relationship? What it, you were on the team at the retreat. And so I'm, I'm imagining, and I don't know for sure that the conversation that you had wasn't happening there so much because the retreat is facilitated and, you know, highly structured, but obviously you came together and you drove together home. So what did you start? You, you said he has more confidence and he can make decisions. How else has this changed? your relationship? I think we're just finally able to be in the roles that biblically we're supposed to be in. Um, I feel like we were always fighting that because we knew what the word of God said, as far as what role I was to play and what role he was to play. But we were almost switching that. Um, 
I have that personality I said where I like structure and I like control mm-hmm. and I know where that comes from. Mm-hmm. But um, he was kind of like, okay, just do it then. And then I'd be angry at him for that. And the trust that I have for him is so, it looks so different now because now there's just something that says I can trust him in a way that I I didn't before. And I don't know if that was partly because I didn't allow him to, um, that I, I didn't allow myself to trust him, but also he has proved to be trustworthy now to me in, in all that. Those key little words when he walked out that said, I am so sorry, will you forgive me? Told me, yes, I can, I can let him lead me now. He loves me. And so that, that was huge. Tony, I think you have touched a deep chord in many, many of us, uh, a longing to see that type of, of work done. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Yes, thank you so much, Tony. Thank you for your time today. I mean, we're pretty much coming to the end of our time. I, I want to just ask you one last question, and this is going to be off the topic of that. We want to go back to the Haven because I know the Haven does other services besides abortion recovery. And so I know you're not the director anymore, but you can speak to those services and the value of those ex, um, extra services. Yeah, so um, the Haven does abortion recovery um, in weekend retreats, as well as, um, some groups. Um, in addition to that, um, they have, uh, support group meetings once a month. So when, a, no matter what the step is, if it's the first step for somebody that's never gone through healing and is looking towards that, um, or if it's somebody that has gone through and they're wanting to stay connected, it's a beautiful way, um, to do that. And then in addition, they also offer um, healing from your sexual past unbound, which I, I know you've had Stephanie um, on um, before the, the author of unbound. And again, that goes to that piece of, we need to get to the root of why we said yes to abortion in the first place. And so there's something there. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a beautiful way to discover it. And so women, you know, if we're not healing that root, we might be healed from our abortion experiences, but we still have something and it will just, you know, just like anything, it just comes out in a different little weed. It kind of starts to grow over here as something else. And yes. so that is, um, is an important piece also of what we do at the Haven. We're seeing more and more of the freestanding abortion recovery type of, of ministry springing up. How did you see um, the relationship with the pregnancy centers in your area? Were they threatened at all by that or did they refer to you? Um, how does that work? I think we are you, we are really um, blessed in Ohio in that there was a group of us as directors that started kind of a coalition. And then that led on to different areas of pregnancy center ministry and abortion recovery in networking in Ohio is, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, everybody trying to support one another and help one another in any way. And so the, the pregnancy centers around that led abortion recovery Um, I, I love connecting and training and networking. And so we were already doing that 
um, as abortion recovery leaders. So no, I don't think anybody feels threatened by, we all kind of refer to one another um, within our areas. And I had even led a training for abortion recovery leaders um, at the Haven, did it with our volunteers, but then also invited in any other um, pregnancy centers that had abortion recovery to come in and do training too, just because I feel like we need to be strong together in this. That's why I love what you're doing. You guys are doing exactly that same thing. You're trying to unite everybody in this work because we're not in competition with one another. Mm-mm. No, we're not. And so we, we were blessed that we didn't ever have that feeling. Nobody felt threatened. We referred to one another. We learned from one another. So was there an advantage to be not under a pregnancy center that you saw? So we actually, when I say standalone, I mean standalone building. Okay. We weren't in the, we weren't in the pregnancy center, but we were under the arm of the pregnancy center. Oh, okay. 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 So I should yeah. have explained that better. So That's okay. You. And I thought, I'm glad you asked that, Linda, because I thought you and I had talked previously um, and had other conversations and I thought that you were under their umbrella. Yeah. Mm-hmm. under their board and under, but okay. Yes. And so when we, when we say think, standalone, I think, I think of, we're thinking like it, the separate nonprofit own board. Own yes. Board. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think sometimes as, as having worked for many years under a pregnancy center, we kind of feel like um, we're, we are um, maybe not in many centers. Um, I'm, I'm sure some of you listening can identify with this. I don't want to say it in any way negative, but sometimes we feel like we're kind of attacked on. We're an add-on. We're not really one of the main ministries to the pregnancy center that they tend to focus. And uh, so that's what one reason I asked that, um, if there's some advantage to, like in your case, just having a separate location um, kind of legitimizes this as one of the major focuses of the pregnancy center. Yeah, I think that has to start from the board up and Bella Vida is the center that the Haven is under and they, I have, I have been involved with pregnancy, pregnancy centers and was, like I said, an executive director for over 10 years at the other one. And I understand what you're saying. Sometimes we feel like not to be negative in any way, right. but like you said, the add on to, mm-hmm. and well, that is not the way that it is that it was looked at at Bella Vita, which is why I think they had a standalone building and were so strong because that support started from the board mm-hmm. down. I never felt as though um, it wasn't an important piece of the ministry of the pregnancy center. And I think that's another reason why the transition went so well. Mm, that's that's awesome. beautiful. Yeah. And you know, that's the thing that I was just talking about in the very, very beginning when I did the little advertisement on our coaching, because I'm just really, really um, just focusing on the fact that, you know, pregnancy center work is offensive work. And when you have a, um, a football team, if you will, cause that's where we're, I'm getting my terms from, right. You have an offensive team and you have a defensive team. And while they have one coach, they're, they're doing two completely different jobs on the field They have two completely different purposes. And that's why I believe that sometimes a abortion recovery ministry can kind of feel like it's kind of this little stepchild because there's not somebody really coaching that side of the team, helping to develop. And so I think the Lord is really raising up more and more people to be that leader, to say, look, it's time to focus our energy over here on this part of the team because it relieves the other part of the team. 
because when the pregnancy center workers are like, oh, okay, well, we have enough people, let's do an abortion recovery. They're not really focused on it, but they understand the heart behind it, but their focus is on this other side of the team. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Am I making sense? So yeah, I think that's good. And Bella Vida, I've just gotten um, over the past few months, Savannah has been helping me develop this ministry and she is amazing. I really, really enjoy talking with her and learning a whole lot. So thankful for her services too. Yes. You do have a great organization. Well, we're going to close up um, and call it an end. And I just want to say thank you, Tony, so much for your time. It was a joy and a pleasure. And uh, as the first time, I think I've cried during a, interview but that's okay it was precious <laughs> so Powerful. anyway yeah we will uh oh and you know okay let me just say this because i'm not going to get this done in a recorded thing so here we go with the non-professional you know don't know what i'm doing learning as we go kind of things but here <laughs> we go if you want to hear more of these podcasts please subscribe in whatever um, platform you're listening in so that you can hear when we get a new, I, I post one at least twice a month. And sometimes I have extras that I pop in there that we're doing as well on leadership. And we're just having some really good conversations on just being a leader, the internal workings of the heart and mind of what a leader, um, should be. And so we're doing those as well. And so you'll get a little ding if you subscribe But the other thing is, is if there is a topic that you want to hear about in abortion recovery groups that we are addressing, or if you have somebody you know that would be be really good as an interviewee, please contact me at mindy at anevenplace.com. And I will get in contact with you and we can talk more about this if you want to be the interview, or I can just take that topic and see if we can find other ways to talk about it because we're doing this. Linda and I, because when we met last fall it was a year ago, um, when we met and we, she came up to my place and we had lunch and it was like just two little birds, just, oh my gosh, you know, we were just chatting and, um, we have such a heart. So I've been meeting with leaders since I started this ministry in 2022, because I wanted to hear what other people were doing. And truly the way the intro says, everybody wants to hear what everybody else is doing and just not have to pay big bucks to do it, not go and have, you know, uh, these great big expensive conferences where now they walk away with a ton of things and you forget 10 of them and maybe you retain two or three, not that those are bad, but this way you can just hear from leaders wherever you're at, you know, while you're driving and kicking. And so we want everybody to be a part. We, Linda and I don't know, you know, we only know what we know. And so we can only bring so much to the conversation. We just want to bring that conversation to everybody else. So having Tony on Tony, we're going to have Sarah Hamilton on in a few weeks. She's coming back on. I'm really excited about that. We have Sarah Loy coming up next week. And so we have just some really good people that we're going to be talking to. I have some people lined up for next year already. So please, and we're going to get Linda Cochran on, um, please let us know what you want to hear. And we mean that sincerely because there's so many things that people want to know, whether you're new or you've been in this for a really long time. And there's just, and there's such a variety of new yes. ideas out there, which is thrilling. And there's so many different books. So Linda and I teach Forgiveness Set Free, but we don't necessarily want to be, make this about Forgiveness Set Free. We want anybody who teaches any book to come on and share 
what they're talking about. So we've had Melissa Santiago on talking about keys to hope and healing. And what's the other one that she does? I forget. Living in color, living in color. I want to have Wendy Chincola on. I, I, so there's a lot of people that have done a lot of different things. And, um, and we really want to make this about not about one thing. We don't want to fit ourselves into a box. We really do want to network and help us unite so that we are stronger and excited about what we're doing because, okay, now we have some fresh ideas. So that's for the listener. So please contact us. We want to hear from you. We'd love to hear. And, and what can we improve by golly? We're not professionals. You know, I'm doing the editing and the questions and I don't really know what I'm doing. Somebody officially told me the other day, you know, you're a producer. And I was like, really? She goes, (laughs) yeah, you can add that to your resume. And I was like, okay, I'm a podcast producer. Well, ha, if anybody really knew what I was doing, it's so minimal because we're just trying to keep it casual, but I'm not trying to create a lot of work for myself, but anyway, all that just so everybody can hear my heart and Linda's and uh, thank you, Tony, one more time. So we'll see y'all later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.